Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, featuring fresh and lively commentary on all things Primal, including Q&A sessions with Primal Blueprint founder, Mark Sisson, special guest interviews hosted by Mark Sisson, and conversations with Primal Blueprint authors and other health and fitness experts. The show is presented by Damage Control, Master Formula, the world's most potent multivitamin, mineral, antioxidant, anti-aging supplement, available Hey everybody, this is Brock Armstrong. Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. And I'm thrilled today to actually be able to um, use my normal accent, eh? Because I'm talking to a fellow Canadian here. I've got Brad Pilon on the other line with me. Oh, well done. Uh, <laughs> I mean. <laughs> uh, no, I like that. You're throwing the accent in right away. It's beautiful. Yeah. Um, and Brad is the author of a book called Eat, Stop, Eat. And um, the reason that we, I wanted to get him on here today is, as you probably guessed by the name of the book, it's about intermittent fasting, which of course is, well, I guess we'll explain more. It's probably not just about intermittent fasting, but that's something that all the people who have been listening to this podcast or reading the Primal Blueprint or following along at marksdailyapple.com are probably very familiar with the notion of taking these brief breaks from eating. But... Right. Before we get too far down that path, let the people know what your background is. I, I know that you were you studied applied human nutrition and nutritional right. sciences, which I don't I don't really understand what those are, but I think the most interesting thing was that you actually studied no nutrition. That's the best part of it. Yeah. So I've been a um nutrition geek pretty much my whole life. So when I was younger, I was the kid working in the supplement shop. Um, giving out advice on vitamin C and ginseng and then whatever was popular at the time. Ginseng, vitamin C, what else was big back then? Uh, creatine. Nice. Right when it was first coming out, I was, I was there pitching it. So I love it. It was, yeah, it was so good. And then I, I took that and I sort of parlayed that into a bit of a, an, an uh, expertise, if not simply a hobby. And so I ended up going to school for applied human nutrition. And in Canada which is where we're from, uh, applied to nutrition at the school I went to was the, the course you would take to become a dietitian. Okay. So not a nutritional biochemist, um, not some guy who's working in the lab with people measuring blood lipids. I, I was the going to be sort of the sports nutritionist, the mm. guy who helped out in a hospital, that sort of thing. Mm. And what I quickly learned was that I did not want to do that. <laughs> I really wanted to know more about physiology and metabolism and that sort of thing. I wanted to do less counseling and coaching um, and more geeky science stuff. So I finished my degree in applied nutrition and I had an opportunity to go and work in the sport industry in an R&D department. And that to me sounded way better than kind of one-on-one -on -one counseling. So yeah. I, I took up the offer and it was fantastic. I was there for six years at a Canadian company that was growing, I mean, leaps and bounds, right? It was doing fantastic stuff. And uh, I, I got the ability to grow with them. And so when I started off, I was doing R&D, you know, basically reading journals, you know, your, your basic data mining. Mm -hmm. 
by the end of it, I was actually running full-blown clinical trials, and it was I was super lucky. This is one of the companies that actually did have a multi-million dollar research budget, and I got to kind of decide where some of that money was going. Wow. So, yeah, it was beautiful. It was, I mean, you couldn't have asked for a better place to grow and learn if, if your passion was nutrition. But what happened to me was about six years into it, I kind of realized that I was on the wrong side of the table. So while I was, you know, the kid responsible for making sure the trials were done properly and, and getting the researchers their money, et cetera, I really wanted to be on the other side of the table making the big discoveries. Mm. So like any brilliant person with a pregnant wife at home, I quit my job <laughs> and I went back to school because that's completely logical. Of right? course, yeah. So I, I went back and I studied um, nutritional sciences. So now I'm more into like the science part of it. And through just a mass collection of happenstance and, and luck, I ended up studying the effects of no nutrition, which is always a big joke at my school that I got a degree in nutrition by not studying nutrition yeah. at all. But uh, it, was, it was interesting because remember, I came from bodybuilding, right? So I came from you eat, you know, every three hours you better be eating. And, you know, this was pre-low carb in the bodybuilding days, right? Mm -hmm. So I was, I was nailing back my, my meal replacement shakes and then, you know, I, I had free access to everything. So whatever you guys took, I took double with each <laughs> serving, right? Like it was beautiful. So the, the goal of my original research was to prove what we all already knew, which was that not eating was horrible for you. Hmm. Yeah, of course. Yeah, so when I started my research, I was, I was just there to prove that, that, that basically not eating was bad for you. Yeah. And when I started discovering that a lot of the things we thought happened, or the, I shouldn't say thought, a lot of things that I was sure happened didn't happen, right? Mm -hmm. Like I, I was sure you, you burnt muscle and you didn't burn any fat. Of and course, yeah, muscle that wasting, was, yeah. Yeah, everybody, everybody knows that. Yeah. So then, when obviously when I got all the papers together and we started measuring something called RQ or respiratory quotient, and you're like, actually, no, based on what we know of physiology, you actually burn fat. I did what any pompous 29, 30 year old would do and be like, well, that, that paper's garbage. And I chucked it <laughs> in the garbage where it belonged, right? Yeah. And then another paper came up and I was like, oh, this one's saying you, you burn fat too. I'm like, wow, some garbage research was done in the early 90s in the garbage. <laughs> And it just kept going on and it got to a point where I'm like, I'm going to have to eat some crow here and change direction and realize that what I thought I knew or what I had been told and indoctrined into was maybe something that I should step back and question. And that is how I fell into studying fasting back before fasting was fasting. Wow. That's really cool because a lot of people get very very stuck in their notions. Like, I, There is still like, uh, how long ago was this that you were looking at this? 2005, 2006. Yeah, so we're talking 10 years and still people are are touting that same message that if you miss a meal, you're going to burn muscle. Yeah, like a single meal. If you miss a single meal, yeah. you will be lucky if you live for another couple hours. <laughs> we all know that, right? So, yeah, you've got to yeah. carry your little bag of nuts and your little bottle of water around with you all the time. Exactly. All the time. You know, the, the embarrassing part of this, okay, so obviously working in the supplement industry, I had access to like protein bars. Mm. Buckets, like just a mass amounts of them, and I made my my girlfriend in university, who's now my, my wife, carry protein bars in her purse because if I didn't eat every two hours, I got faint, tired, and angry. Right? Yeah. So she every once in a while she bring that up. She's like, "Hey, remember when I used to have to carry protein bars around for you, and now you don't <laughs> eat for twenty four hours?" So, yeah, a little little bit of eating crow there, but that was what we were all indoctrinated. Like if you're in the bodybuilding, and if you're into health and fitness at all, your only source of information because we're kind of old and pre-internet was the magazines yeah 
right? And you didn't really think the magazines might just be giant advertisement for supplements. So everything in there was gospel. Right? Even if your job was to, to perform clinical research in that field, that's where you got a lot of your ideas from. There are things you wanted to test and study. So you never thought for a moment that that, that fundamental thought of eating every couple hours may be wrong. Okay, so once you had that fundamental thought turned on its head, then yep. so, so what did you really find? Like what was the what was the biggest sort of aha moment that you had? The biggest one was the the increase in fat burning, the increase in fat loss, and the the metabolism, right? So the, the metabolic rate or the amount of calories you burn over the 24 hours that you were fasting. My research was about 12 hours of 72, so short-term fasting. Never I didn't go any farther because it would I would have been in school for decades longer. <laughs> so that was a nice timeline to study. So 12 hours to 72 hours. Exactly. Okay. And that, so that was the really fascinating stuff. You know, the, the muscle stuff is interesting, but if, if you even just sort of step back logically and think about how bloody slow it is to build muscle, it makes sense that you're not going to lose a ton in, in 24 hours. So it was the fat burning and the metabolism stuff that really opened my eyes and made me realize, all right, hold up. Like if, if you're actually burning fat during this period, and your metabolism is not crashing, screeching to a halt, whatever weird term you want to use for it, yeah. but actually just humming along like it always does, then could this actually be a way for some people to lose weight? My original thought always went towards women because for me being in the, the bodybuilding industry and, and working at the company I did was full of people who like lived bodybuilding. We worked with a lot of girls. At the time, I was you know, a much heavier 200 205 so i got to eat a fair amount right like <laughs> you're eating every six hours you're still eating four or five hundred calories at the least that's a six inch sub that's that's doable yeah but if you're a 120 pound girl trying to get down to 112 pounds for a show you get like half a banana a teaspoon of yogurt and a nut yeah. right and that that's all they got yeah their six meals a day every single one of those meals was kind of crappy yeah. So I think for people like that, or just, you know, real people. So again, look, I worked in a bodybuilding industry. It was completely fine for us to go to a high level board meeting with a Tupperware container full of chicken breast and broccoli. That was fine. <laughs> you're a salesman and you're, you know, you're, you're on the road all day. You can't just show up with chicken and broccoli. It might be a bit more typical now, but back in the early 2000s, you couldn't do that. So yeah. A lot of the diet rules weren't really usable for the average person. So that's what got me thinking, this might help. So, and, and you found that the benefits went beyond just fat loss too. Like right now you're talking about fat loss, but the, the benefits go way beyond that. Yeah, when we, um, so the original idea was fat loss. This was a, a diet book. And the, the beauty of the internet is you, my book's a PDF, right? So if, if, if I publish it, and then Brock, you email me, you're like, Brad, that was a great book, but I want to know so much more than just weight loss. Yeah. I can go, awesome, I'm going to spend the next couple months reading everything I can about something other than weight loss. I'll update the book, and I'll send it to you. And that's exactly what I did. So we, we added some very interesting stuff about both inflammation and autophagy, um, insulin sensitivity. We went into all different hormones. Uh, autophagy is the the death of cells, like the turnover of cellular, cell, cellular cleansing matter. Is kind of like how I like to talk cellular about cleansing. It. Okay. Yeah, people like to talk about you know cleansing diets, etc. I don't think there's any better cleansing diet than just not eating for a bit. Nice. Just you no diet. 
body is mind-blowingly complicated, and it's so good at what it does. I don't think you have to add much to make it do something. I think a lot of times you just have to step out of its way. And that was what we generally found with, with both inflammation and, and autophagy. A lot of the things your body wants to fix, and I'm obviously personifying it a bit here, but a lot of what it wants to do, sometimes you're just getting in its way yeah. with, with your attempts to constantly force it to do things. I don't think it's unreasonable to think that our bodies are trying to do what they're supposed to do. <laughs> it's like their default setting is to make us awesome. Exactly, right? It really we just doesn't. have to let them make us awesome. Get out of the way. Right. And so and what we found was there, is there had to be a happy balance, right? So you, of course, like of course you're supposed to eat. I think we all, let's all put our hands up and agree that's probably a good thing. Yeah. yeah. But maybe taking a break every once in a while is not a bad idea either. And that was the crux of the book, not just for weight loss, but for health. And it goes so beyond physiology and hormones, which is the stuff we love to talk about. But realistically... When you look at the average person who's wanting to lose weight, there's so much more going on than their leptin receptor affinity and, and the levels of you know sex hormone binding globulin. There's way more going on. And a lot of it's what's going on in your head. This was the biggest lesson I learned while fasting. So I, I started fasting, obviously, while doing my research because everybody loves a human guinea pig. Yes. And I would drive up the same highway every day to go to school. And when I did that drive, I would stop and I would grab a coffee from Tim Hortons because I'm Canadian. Double, double. Yes, you kind of have to. Yeah. It's a sad truth. Yeah. And then because I was still in my like late 20s and, you know, I didn't know any better, I'd grab a donut on the way. It just just became a habit. You know, you're a bit stressed out. I I mentioned my pregnant wife. So you guys understand I needed the bloody donut. (laughs) And uh, I would get it every day. And the weird thing was when I was fasting, I would pull. Tim Hortons drive through, and I would be sitting there with cars in front of me, cars behind me. What? Why am I, what am I doing? Like, I, I ate two hours ago, and then I said, I'm fasting, and I'm in this drive through. I'm not hungry. I actually had a coffee at home, so I'm not even really looking forward to this coffee. And, you know, Tim, I'm not going to knock Tim Hortons, but every once in a while you get a coffee that's not worth looking forward to, right? So <laughs> I was in one of those moods where I didn't even really want the coffee, and I realized I am out of here. I'm here just out of habit. Yeah, and trained. I'm going to grab a coffee, and I might have even grabbed a donut if I didn't kind of realize what was going on. Yeah. And then you realize that that's what a lot of people do. We, we're entrained eaters. Yeah. We eat certain things with certain friends, right? When, when I go to my one buddy's house for their Christmas dinner, and I went there once when I was 27, and I was trying to get up to 216 pounds because that's what bodybuilders did, and I demoed that dinner spread. When I show up now, his mom still thinks that I'm going to eat everything there. And so because there's a pressure on me, I eat. Yeah. <laughs> I eat like a 20 year trying to bulk up, right? And if you, you learn these lessons with certain people, you, certain times of the day, you eat things when you're on vacation. You I mean, you're not going to an all-inclusive and not getting your money's worth. Yeah. You're eating, right? And so exactly. Habits built in. One of the best lessons that fasting can teach you, even if you're going to try it, and then you're going to be like, Elon, this is not for me. I'm, I'm not doing this. Even if you just learn that one lesson during a fast of, of the fact that there are times where you eat not because you're hungry, but just because of the habit, that is going to help so much. And I think that's one of the biggest lessons we learned in, in doing the trials was watching people think they were needing food and it was a habit thing. And, and one of the really fun things to do would be people were 
asked for a specific food, and you can do this. I mean, anybody who's got young kids, this is a great game. You know, for a treat, and you're like, oh, Toad, you want? I've got a Snickers bar. You want it? And the kids were like, yeah, woohoo! And then you come back to like, oh, I didn't have it. Here's an apple. Yeah. They didn't even want the apple because they weren't hungry. Yeah. Right? They wanted the Snickers bar. That was the expectation. And in fact, you ruin the expectation, they're going to be angry. <laughs> right? They're, they're going to be mad at you. And I, I relate that story because I can remember the one time for me, I was jonesing for, uh, if you guys understand what it is, an Arby's burger, which yeah. is uh, <laughs> like a, a roast beef fast food burger. Yeah, they're not. And good. I was just wanting it so bad. You know when you get like that, right? You're jonesing it. And yeah. I was back home. And back home for me is not a university town. So I drove to the local Arby's ready for my Arby's burger. And that bloody place closed at 6 p.m. And, and that's just ridiculous. Yeah, like, just... No one closed. It was 6.30. <laughs> there was like any junk fast food you could want was along that strip. And I just stared at the closed Arby's and I was like, I'm going home. Right? Like, I wanted an Arby's burger. I didn't yeah. want anything else. And those are the kind of things that are entrained into us that slowly lead to weight gain. So taking this momentary occasional break from our day-to-day habits of how we eat. I mean, for you can forget the hormone stuff if you don't want to read about it. You can forget the really cool talking about beta receptors and, and how it affects fat loss. You just take from the fact that every once in a while breaking the styles that you eat and the habits you have will go a long way to helping you lose weight. Interesting. So you took the subjects in the studies and you just started, what did you increase the amount of time that they were fasting for? We were able to, the, the really cool thing about studying fasting is that, well, there weren't a lot of papers on fasting. What we had, which was awesome, was a lot of trials where fasting was the placebo. Okay. So we were able to take like mass amounts of research from 12, 72 hours. Uh, a lot of it was research on amino acids and protein synthesis, right? So people would be working out and they take their amino acids and the other group would have worked out and not taken anything. Hmm. So a sham. And you can take that group and, and look over their data. So we were able to find all sorts of really cool stuff, not just in the research on fasting, but on the research that wasn't really even examining fasting. They were looking at something else. But you could take their groups for, for all sorts of information, from, from safety data to just how those people reacted relative to the, the people who were getting the, the supplement. And then that was where we got actually the most interesting data because they weren't looking for fasting, if that mm. makes sense, right? They, their, their, their biases were on something completely different. So the fasting data was nice and pure. So whether it was during the, during the study with any of the subjects or people who've read your book or your own experience, like when you get to that, that time when you really want that Arby's burger, you really, you get that hangry sort of feeling. Um, what did you find? What was the best way to, to get over that? Okay, well, the really interesting thing about the hangry, I love it. The, the, <laughs> the interesting thing about the, the hangry feeling, especially when people aren't just hangry because they want to eat, but actually because they're attempting fasting. Yeah. What we found is a lot of people get like that because they're still convinced they're actually doing something wrong mm-hmm. or bad. You know, they're, they're, they're pretty sure their metabolism might be crashing or they don't feel quite right. And with a lot of people that first fast, I mean, for most of us, we spend most of our days, months, years in the fed state, that first fast is going to feel a little funny, right? You're actually going to go through the feeling of slowly switching from a, a predominant metabolism where you're burning the calories from your food to a metabolism where you're burning stored calories. And in that sort of switch, there, I, I really do believe there's a feel to it. 
And a lot of people, I think, related that feeling to something negative, something bad. And I think that's where, where a lot of the hangry came from. And so the more you could talk to them about the benefits of fasting and the fact that, you know, this is, this is not starving, right? Like someone didn't steal your food from you. You can eat anytime you want. Yeah. And you could have re- relieved them of that stress. The hangries t- tend to go away. And a lot of that was um, related to the original way Eat Stop Eat was written, which was it was a 24-hour fast once or twice a week. And 24 was, was simply chosen because, A, it's memorable. Yeah. B, there's a, a nice amount of research on that exact time, probably because it was memorable. And C, because it was just kind of a nice middle ground between the 12 and 72, and I didn't like some of the effects of the longer fasts. And so people would like, strive to hit 24 hours. And they'd send me emails like, Brad, I, I, I can't do it. You know, I, I cannot fast. I, I cannot do this. I'm like, well, how long did you make it? And they're like, oh, I felt great up until 22 hours. I'm like, well, then fast for 22 hours. It's still <laughs> amazing, right? Like you're, you're still getting a lot of benefits. So let's just sort of work with it. The other thing I found was um, with Eat, Stop, Eat and the way we, we kind of conducted that, you break the fast up between two days. So if you and I started fasting today at 5 p.m., okay. we'd fast till tomorrow at 5 p.m. Effectively, oh, okay. we get to eat every day. And we're sleeping through what you'd consider the hardest part of the fast. Yeah. Isn't that cheating? No, totally, which is why I love it. <laughs> but the cool thing, well, again, not cool, but the interesting thing, yeah, it's cool. I'm going to call it cool anyways, right. is that that timing makes a big difference. So you may sit there going like, people on 5 p.m. to 5 p.m. sucked. I can't fast. Yeah. And I would be sitting there going, I don't know what you're talking about, Brock. It's, it was beautiful. It went by like this. It was amazing. And then you tried 2 p.m. to 2 p.m., you're like, oh, that's it. That's my jam. That was, ah. and I'm sitting going, I cannot do that. Like that is too, too close to lunch. It's so the timing matters, and it matters a lot. And a couple hours makes a big difference. And the other thing I learned is that just how your your life changes. What was the perfect fast time can just change and not be the perfect fast time. So that that added flexibility of telling people just because in the book I use an example of 7 p.m. to 7 p.m. doesn't mean you have to fast every day from 7 p.m. Or every once twice a week, 7 p.m. to 7 p.m. Pick your own times and aim for your own length. And that really helped people with the hangries too because they realize it's all under their control. They're yeah. just doing nothing more than taking a break from eating. And that's all I ever wanted, right? I didn't want this to be very regimented or anything. I wanted it to be so flexible anybody could fit it into their lifestyle. So it had to just be taking a break. The diet world has so much dogma in it already. That's the last thing it needs is more people throwing more dogmatic beliefs into it. You add them all together and you can't actually eat anything ever because everything's bad for you. Yeah. So so you you mentioned something just sort of in passing there about moving the time can change Mm -hmm. whether like if if i'm used to doing it two till two or whatever what kind of factors is it stress sleep what kind of things get in the way of of continuing that a host of things for for me um stress and sleep play a big part uh obviously i've I've got two young kids now so their stress and sleep play an even bigger part oh yeah the trickle down so, I mean, when they have stress, when they have a bad day, it affects my eating. When, when my, my wife has a bad day and then she's decided that we're going to have ice cream, I'm not going to let her eat ice cream alone. What kind of person do you think I am? That's your horrible man. Yeah, come on. So it needs to be flexible. We can't all live that fantasy pretend life where someone pays us hundreds of thousands of dollars to live in a gym. Hmm. We have no stresses. We eat what we want. We work out when we want. It just it doesn't exist. So... If you're going to follow a diet, it has to be flexible. Because I, I really believe your traditional diet, 
with lots of rules and lots of timed eating is a slow, eventual march to failure. You're, you're going to mess up, right? And the problem is those kind of diets then are negatively reinforced because what do you do when you mess up a diet? You're like, ah, oh, well, blew it, and then you, you eat a ton. Yeah, and then yeah, you go totally off the deep end. Off the deep end. For, you know, for, if you're strong, you go off the deep end for a day or two. If you've been dieting for a while, and you're, you're off for like a week or two, yeah. months. And then what do you do? You're like, oh, you know, I'm back on the wagon and I'm going to be even more strict. Yeah. Like I am, I am not going to eat anything unless it's a certain shade of green. And then when that happens, you fall off again. It's even worse. And then you come back even stricter. So it, it takes a very special type of person and they exist, but it takes a special type of person to get great results that are consistent and maintainable on that style of eating. And don't get me wrong, those people are out there, right? They, they live that bodybuilding lifestyle and they're, they're lean for years. But a lot of them, a lot of them are lean for a photo shoot. And that's what you see, hmm. right? And that photo shoot, those pictures will be online forever and they will refer back to them. But in actual fact, they struggle. They struggle like everybody, like your average person, everybody listening on this call who struggles, some of those male and female fitness models that you see on Instagram, you're just like, I want to look like that. They want to look like that too because they haven't looked like that in three years. <laughs> so a diet has to be fitting to you and flexible and able to handle the ups and downs that happen when you want to get in shape but you just got invited to your cousin's all-inclusive wedding at a resort, right? You, you got to go to the wedding and you're not going to be that guy or girl who shows up with you know, your prepackaged meals for the actual ceremony, right? Like you've, you've got to be flexible. Yeah, that's. I've got so many questions while you're talking there. I guess the first one, when you said like the the person who's striving to do the 24 hour fast, but they can only make it to 22 hours, and that's yeah. okay. Now, what would you say would be the minimum that like the minimum effective dose, as Mark Sisson always says? Like what? Uh, nice. All right. So here's my views on fasting. There's two factors you got to take into account: how frequently you fast and how lean you are. Right. So. Okay. And this, this is, when I, when I say it, everybody in the call is going to be like, peel on, obviously. Like, come on. But <laughs> it needs to be said. So the more frequently you fast, the shorter the length, right? Like, so if you're fasting every day, 24 hours is probably not the number for you, right? Like, to be real. So I like to say if you're fasting, like, consistently every day and you want to be live that lifestyle, 12 to 16 hours is, is beautiful. Okay. If you're every other day, I like 16 to 20. And, you know, if, if you're once or twice a week, 20 to 24, and if you're, you know, I, 36 is cool once a week. I, I'm not a fan of the longer fast, but completely because of my bias and the fact that I'm not as well educated in, in the longer fast, right? I started mm-hmm. focusing in on the shorter ones. Okay, so it's so not I, because some magic, terrible thing starts to happen after 36 no, hours. But, but I will say that the other factor I need you to pay attention to is your leanness, right? So the goal here is not 0% body fat. <laughs> like it's... It's ridiculous. So if you are a guy walking around at 6%, then maybe fasting every single day for 22 hours, you know what? You don't have the reserves that the rest of us have. Hmm. You don't have the body fat, right? So at that point, what is your body going to eat then? You're at 6% body fat, so let's just say that basically there's nothing there. And you're not eating for 22 hours and you're exercising it, it needs energy from somewhere. And that's when proteins, not necessarily muscle, but proteins from your body, uh, start to get used. Right? Mm-hmm. So if you're really lean, you err on the, the, the lower side. Right? If you're not so lean, you've got more fuel to use, you err on the higher side. And the thing about lean, and this is the part that's you know, a fitness construct that isn't really real life, 
is that for the ladies out there is is we're we're traditionally leaner than you, right? So when I say six percent, I'm talking about the guys. Yeah. If you just double and add a couple numbers to that, like pretend we're doing a Fahrenheit to Celsius kind of thing, <laughs> right? Like I, I gotta tell you, like eighteen percent on a woman is, is lean, right? So don't. I know you look at those fitness models and you're like, yeah, but I don't have those those lines of striations in my legs. I'm like, well, neither do I. Let's be real, right? So, um, they are exceptionally lean, and if you're anywhere even close to that, I want you to err on the side of much shorter fasts or not as frequent. And that that's how I really balance it, it out, right? So even for me, if I'm I kind of around ten ish percent body fat. If I go lower, I'm not fasting for 24 hours twice a week. It's just 24 hours once or maybe 24 hours and then maybe a 20-hour fast, right? And you kind of kind of flow with it and realize that you're, you're kind of there, right? You're, you're, you're lean. You got to slow these things down. And then if you like fasting and you're like, that fits into my lifestyle right now. And right now I want to fast every other day or every day. That's cool. But Considering you're doing it so much, why don't we cut the time down a bit so you still have time to eat and, and enjoy your meals, mm. that kind of thing. So that's my general philosophy on both the, the frequency and the length of your fast is it depends on how lean you are and, and how frequently you want to do it and just how you feel, right? So if you're, you know, let's say you're not super lean, but you try a 24-hour fast, you're like, peel on it, that sucked. You don't have to do 24, right? The, if the benefits start happening six, seven hours after your last meal, if your meal was, was fairly large. And by 10, 11 hours, you're actually starting to see an increase in fat burning. And by 12 or 13, you, you burnt a little bit of fat, you, you've used up some of your liver glycogen, you, you've made some changes. Inflammation has slightly changed, your growth hormone has gone up, your insulin's gone down. I was good. I get, it, it's better than the other option, which is you decided, I'm just going to keep eating all the time. Yeah. Like a break every once in a while is all right. So it's the extremism of, of diet that, that you need to kind of knock out of fasting because the one problem with fasting is that the extremism can make it dangerous fairly quickly, right? Like it is a complete abstinence from food, right? So if you're going to get really, really extreme with it, I'd worry more about fasting than if you got super, super extreme about setting your alarm clock and eating every three hours. Mm -hmm. Like that's as as crazy as that sounds. It's also sort of, you know, I'll use the term dangerous. It's it's less dangerous, in, in my opinion. Whereas fasting, if you're super super lean, but you've also decided you're going to try to set some sort of fasting record, that usually doesn't do well. I don't, I have no idea what that record would be. I think I heard somebody went into the two hundred and some days of fasting. Yeah, see, I like food too much for that, yeah. and I like muscle, so I, two of them. You know, I would I would probably not ever do that. Yeah. Okay, so you mentioned um, women, which is I know a, a hot topic in uh, in intermittent fasting circles Rise, that nuts, women yeah. should not be doing it. Yeah, and see, the thing that makes me mad about that is is one, it was a good point to bring up because fasting research, like almost all physiology research, is heavily dominated by men. Hmm. We don't have a menstrual cycle; our weight doesn't fluctuate as much. We're just easier to study, hmm. right? Unless you're doing like just an easy weight loss trial. In which case, women are easier because you just you typically have more fat mass, right? But we we tend to lean towards study. I'm saying we like I'm one of them. Scientists and researchers well, right now, <laughs> we were. I'm past tense. They they tend to lean towards studying men. All right, so that is completely true. And bringing up that there needs to be more fasting research on women is is brilliant. However, saying that there is no research on fasting and women because you went to PubMed, typed in intermittent fasting and women, yeah. and hit return. That that's that's malicious almost right like you come on 
it's, you got to do a bit more work than that. The other thing that really bothered me about um, that m- movement was, which I viewed to be other than a few people who actually wrote about legitimate concerns and I think did a good job. I think other people took a look at how much traffic they were getting and realized that the idea of writing something about fasting and women got a lot of people to visit their website. Uh And that was sort of why it picked up. But the reason that bugged me so much is they took a lot of known physiology. We're talking, you know, first year undergraduate physiology on the gender differences between men and women. And then acted as if it was this great unknown discovery. So women have higher levels of free fatty acids in their blood than men. I mean, you, we, we know this. This is a known thing. Um, free fatty acids in your blood are related to acute and transient changes in insulin resistance. We know that as well. Okay. So anytime women will see an increase in free fatty acids from their blood, right, there will be a washout period after they begin eating again where they will be slightly insulin resistant. Why? Because their blood is full of free fatty acids that need to be dealt with, mm-hmm. right? You, having blood that's full of both free fatty acids and then a whole ton of sugars and proteins and everything from your meal, there, there's, there's a priority in kind of getting rid of those things. And if you study someone right after a fast, and we're talking like right after, you're going to see some abnormalities. They just went through the fastest state and now they're moving into the fed state, right? So that period will be slightly longer in women because there will be slightly more free fatty acids. So that was the whole insulin resistance thing. Um, if you ever look back through a lot of the fasting research, the good trials, they kind of do about a 12-hour washout before they look and see what the, the, the new effects are. And realistically, that's completely dependent on how long you fasted for because that dictates the amount of free fatty acids in your blood. So I know I'm getting really sciencey, but I'm just kind of explaining that there was logical explanations for some of those findings. Okay. Now, the other thing was the, um, the blogosphere of very, very lean women complaining that fasting was, was messing up their, um, their, their cycles or their metabolism, et cetera. Yeah. And that gets right back to my point of why are you fasting? Like you are, you're 12% body fat. I don't, understand what you were doing. So I think there was a lot of misunderstanding. It, it, it happens with every diet where the diet comes out and it must be perfect for everybody, whether they're really, really lean or not lean, very active or not active. And I thought that was actually a very good point that was brought up. And, and the reason I liked it so much was with women, they, they have this interesting thing where they've got kind of a monthly marker that tells them how their hormones are doing. Hmm. Right, so they they got got to have a feel for like, huh? Right, either I'm pregnant or something wrong is going on. Yeah. Right, they have that. We don't. And the interesting thing I found from that was that it made me really open my eyes to um, guys and the concept of layering diets. Right, so I'm going to go really really low calorie. I'm hmm. going to train like eight times a, a week because I'm getting ready for my spring break with my boys. I'm going to throw some fasting in. And then uh, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to start kind of feeling tired and not, I'm, like I'm not recovering. And I'm not going to tell anybody about it because that would be kind of wussy, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to keep going. And the interesting thing is these exact same things that some women were reporting happens to guys too. And, and the important message, and this is why I, I had a love-hate relationship with that whole women shouldn't fast thing because on its surface, it was, it was 
somewhat ridiculous, but on its deeper level, it did a lot of good in raising awareness to the fact that fasting is a diet. It's a form of caloric restriction. It's a way to lower your calories. Adding a fast on top of dieting. So now you're doing two things, right? You're dieting and then you're dieting some more. Yeah. And it was never meant for, at least for me, it was never meant to be that way, right? I really want people to fast and then forget about fasting, right? You're, mm-hmm. you're done. You've, so you've actually done, you're done your dieting. Congrats. Eat responsibly and then stop yeah. eating. Exactly. And then start eating responsibly again. <laughs> yeah. And so the, the couple, couple things about that was, you know, I, I felt it was a little unfair because attacking all of intermittent fasting because a certain style didn't work for you would be like me saying paleo sucks because I tried vegan and they're both eating, right? So they're both yeah. eating, right? Like just food and I didn't like that one. So they're all the same. So you have a gamut of, of the ways that people have marketed fasting now, right? So um, we've got our friend Martin who really made 16-8 popular. Mm-hmm. Then people kind of took that and like, hey, we're going to do 16-8 and then we're going to make a book where it's we're going to kind of take that idea and add 24-hour fast into it. And someone's like, well, I'm going to do a 36 on top of that for my book, right? So it, it, there was so many styles that then people were, you know, basically instead of the occasional break from eating, you were fasting so much, your eating was an occasional break from fasting. <laughs> And to lump those all together, I, I thought was was pretty unfair. And then the other thing was was just the the lack of common sense. Where you know we had a couple guys, um, well known guys, who at six or seven percent body fat while training for a couple hours a day very intensely, reported back that a twenty four hour fast exhausted them. That's no kidding, <laughs> dude. But how much leader do you think you're gonna? What, why? Why are you doing this? So a little bit of common sense went out the door. So for anybody listening, what, what I, the message I want to get across there is that it's a fasting is a tool. It is like using the right tool, right? Right tool makes the job easier. Wrong tool makes it a, a giant mess. So no. if you want to, I don't advise layering it on top of other diets. If you have other diets you're doing, that's awesome. Try them out, and then when you're done, try fasting. And if if it works better beautiful. If it didn't, you don't have to do it. If you're extremely lean already or you're a competitive athlete and you're training three or four hours a day, you can try it. But at the same time, if it doesn't feel right, you don't, you don't need to do it. So that was kind of my rant about the intermittent fasting and women. There was a, a group, a couple posts that I think did a very good job reviewing the research and, and pointing out there is needs for more research. I also think there is a bit of um, not taking the other papers that showed no effect and maybe adding them in or taking the papers that showed a benefit and maybe reviewing them too. But they did take all the negative papers and do a nice review of them. So that's, that's good, right? We, we need that kind of thing. Any, any diet dogma needs to be challenged. The, the scare and the unfortunate part was that turned into kind of this SEO rant and race to see who could get the most traffic by talking about how bad it was. But that happens to every single diet. So it was, it was to be expected. And, you know, I guess, as anybody who's a fan of fasting kind of realizes, at least it makes you realize that people are paying attention. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's interesting. I've been very reluctant to ever suggest any fasting to women only because I, like everybody else, heard the really negative stuff and didn't uh, didn't have the time or the, the brain power to devote to delving further. So, so I guess it really comes down to it's the same for men and women, just really pay attention if you're going to do it. Like, you follow your own barometers, whether that's your energy level or your menstrual cycle. Absolutely. And, and, and just like any other diet for men and women, there's going to be people you know, on this call who are like, God, oh, that did not feel right. 
which is cool because there are tons of other diets that we can help you find that, that may be a benefit, right? So it is a tool. That's all it is. It's a very effective one. But end of day, uh, no one's going to force you to fast, which is good. A little while ago, we were sort of talking about the idea of maybe binging and cheating and just sort of falling off the wagon and stuff. How do you, how do you feel? This is kind of my last question. I just want to, want to get your opinion on the, the idea of having a cheat day sort of planned in, if you're going to do these planned fasts, then should you refeed? I'm of the camp of no. And I'll explain why I really like, because I'm incredibly biased. (laughs) My version, which is like the fast is only once or twice a week. And then when, you, when you're done your fast, you just pretend like it never happened and you go on with life, right? So with Eat, Stop, Eat, you, you can effectively have breakfast every single day if you want. So I'm not an anti-breakfast person. If you are a diehard, I want to have a post-workout meal every single time I work out, you can work that into fasting once or twice. And if you can't, then you're working out a lot, right? <laughs> so these things are doable. With a cheat meal, I get a little concerned, and I'll, I'll get to the point here, is, is one. Cheat meals happen, right? Like yeah. you are going to go to a wedding, right? You are going to go to the movies one day and be like, I'm going to get M&M pretzels because those things are awesome, right? <laughs> like it's just going to happen. I don't need know if necessarily they need to be structured in for people. Oh, uh, we don't need to plan them. Yeah, right, because yeah, they're going they to happen. plan themselves. Yeah, and then the other thing is the little bit odd for me to start getting into the habit of I'm going to eat as much as I can today, like literally until I think my stomach might tear apart and tomorrow I'll just fast. And then the next day, I'm just going to go to town again. And then tomorrow, I'm going to fast. My concern is two-part. Yes, it does sound disordered, and that's a whole other conversation. But the main thing is, if you do that, you're eventually going to stop fasting. And what are you left with? You just know how to binge. Right. And that's you're just going to do that Monday through Sunday. Well, it just sounds really familiar with the uh, people who binge and like eat a ton and then go for a really long run. Exactly. Same and sort you know, of my, idea. my evidence behind my hesitancy there is any pro athlete who then retires and is used to eating like a pro athlete. There's not a lot of lean ones. Mm-hmm. Right. Like so. I mean, and I'm going to pick on it's the NFL right now. Right. But yeah. Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, the even really lean quarterbacks, like at four or five years after they've retired, they need to adjust their lifestyle because they've been used to eating a certain way. Then they got rid of the one thing that was keeping them lean. So if you're using fasting as a crutch, right, if, it, if you're just using it to allow you to pick out all the time, everybody take – even I've taken two or three weeks off. Of, I've taken eight weeks off of fasting to see what happens, right? It's going to happen at some point. And if your habit is to see how much you can eat in a day, those are going to be some bad eight weeks. So that's my thought on that. Now, with cheat days in, in particular, so not their tie into fasting, but just if you're an athlete and you're given it, if your workout program is is intense and high and, and you just feel like you could use a day like that, that's a different story, right? Because you're you're approaching it with a different mindset. If you're literally cheating just because you can, because you're going to fast, that's when I feel like, yeah. My my rule of thumb is with anything, including things to take during a fast, if you're doing it because you're trying to work the system, that's that's never good, Mm -hmm. right? So if you're trying to like, I can eat everything I want today because the fasting will take care of it, you're you're trying to game the system and the house usually wins in the end. So that's my general thoughts on that one. All right. Well, we've been talking for a while now and I always like to wrap up 
giving the audience something that they can do like later today or even like right now that they can implement into their into their lives to make them a little healthier, a little happier, a little stronger, a little more awesome, something like that. So from all your research, from your writing, from your your life in general, what would you what's that one piece that you'd give to people to take away? Everyone thinks I'm gonna say fasting, don't you? <laughs> all of you No, okay. I want you to move, right? We were talking about fasting for an hour, you know. So the the other part of the equation is, and I don't want you to go work out uh, just because everybody does some form of that at some point. I want you to learn to just move, go for a walk, get up, get get moving. It's the it's the other side of of healthy living, and I find that a lot of us get caught up in the eating part. And we neglect that other part, right? Because getting to the gym was too hard or I couldn't afford my trainer this month or, you know, my shoulder is just kind of a little buggy. I'm not, I'm not working out. And, and I'd love for everyone on this call to get into the habit of just going for a walk, moving. I mean, anything. And I know we've been kind of trained to think that exercise involves Lululemon pants and <laughs> some sort of predetermined thing. Um, you know, and a whole lot of sweat and pain. Yeah, it's got to be an event. I'm like, you know, look at your grandparents and, and gardening and walking and just do something. If you've got kids, just I want you to run up to them right now, scream at them that you're a monster and start chasing around them, right? And that counts. And that's the thing that people, it, it, it counts. It's the same. I, I'm i still reminded of a time in, in university where I, we were organizing a road hockey game. And, and for anybody who doesn't know that we're Canadian, road hockey is awesome. You're just supposed to, it's yeah, wicked cool. It's exactly and, what it uh, sounds like. <laughs> We're gonna hit it. We're gonna go play road hockey. And it's it literally, I'm probably using literally wrong, but he told he's like, no, dude, I gotta go to cardio. That's <laughs> like, wait, we're gonna, it's gonna be that, like three that, hours. That is cardio. It's gonna let you up, but it's gonna be three. No, I'm not, I suck. But, <laughs> and so people get caught in that exercise is a, is a thing. It's got a definition mindset. And I really just want you guys to move. The, the eating part, I mean, you've, you guys know everybody on this call knows Mark, right? Yeah. You've got some really good guidance. So you know what you should be doing. The, the exercising part is that kind of every little bit helps and it doesn't have to be what we could traditionally think of exercise. It's just moving helps in the long run. That's fantastic. I love it. Glad you like it. Now, last thing, where can people yeah. find you? All right. So there are a lot of places because the internet's fantastic. Uh, I like Twitter. So if you guys kind of want to see random misspelt 144 <laughs> character answers to questions... Um, my and Twitter, photos of you with no shirt on and a monkey. The monkey picture got a lot of people like that picture because mm -hmm. the monkey was awesome and fuzzy. But uh, at Brad Pilon is my Twitter handle if you want to see what we're talking about. Um, Facebook. Now, I, I post crazy pictures on Facebook. I'm not on as much to answer your questions as I should be, but you can check it out. That one is facebook.com forward slash Brad Pilon. Um, you're going to notice a trend here. My yes. blog. So if you want... I used to be a bit better at updating it. But if you want to get a feel for my writing style, yeah, go there. So you're going to guess the blog is bradpilon.com. Yeah, and, and make sure you check out the Thanksgiving Experiment blog post. Yeah, that was, I wanted to talk to you about that, but we kind of ran out of time. So everybody go and check that out. It was a, yeah, a good experiment. Um, but so, And then if you've done all that and you're kind of like, yeah, this guy's all right, then, then go check out my my blatant self-promotion on my sales page, eatstopeat.com, where I aggressively tell you you should buy my book. But don't do that first. Check out the other stuff first. Perfect. Well, thank you very much for joining us. Nice. I will let you get back to the sunny beaches of uh, Florida now, and I'll go back to thank the snowy streets of Toronto. 
And thanks, everybody, for tuning in to the Primal Blueprint podcast. We'll be back with exciting interviews and everything else. Perfect. Yay. Safeguard your health with the most comprehensive all-in-one nutritional supplement on the planet, Primal Nutrition's Damage Control Master Formula. Forget mixing and matching with multiple bottles of individual agents. Now you can just take a single packet of the most potent and optimally balanced multivitamin, multimineral, antioxidant formula available on the market. You'll enjoy complete immune system, cardiovascular, memory, nerve, bone, liver, and anti-stress support, and much more. With 51 research-proven ingredients, Damage Control Master Formula helps you combat oxidative damage in every cell and every system in your body and shore up any dietary shortcomings with complete protection. Order Damage Control Master Formula today at PrimalBlueprint.com and check out the incredible free shipping offer for our convenient and custom-designed auto-ship program.